Hello, and welcome to the IBCD Care and Discipleship Podcast. I'm Craig Marshall, the Director of Operations at IBCD, and joining me today is our Executive Director, Dr. Jim Neuheiser. Today, we're going to be talking about the topic of anger, and in particular, how to deal with anger in counseling. Jim, I know that you have written a booklet, Dealing with Anger, Help My Anger is Out of Control. And then at IBCD, we've summarized the five principles of that booklet onto what we call the anger card. And we often give that out in counseling. But I can imagine that people would be wondering, is anger really that much of a factor in biblical counseling? I believe Jay Adams said that anger is a factor in 90% of counseling cases. And my only response to that would be, I don't know what the 10% are in which there's not an issue of anger. People in the midst of conflict, people in, in relationship, but sometimes even people, they're depressed because they're angry that things haven't gone their way. They're anxious because you know they're fearful they're not going to go their way. And, and anger is a reaction of, of judgment when I don't get what I want. And so it's very rare I would have a situation where someone's come for counsel where anger is not involved in some manner. And so you know that as as a pastor and as a counselor, that anger is often involved. It seems like there are some people who really understand that they struggle with anger. They have an anger issue, they'll say. It also seems like there are a lot of people who are unaware that anger is playing a large role in their lives. Why do you think they're unaware of that? I think a major reason people are unaware is because all anger is justified in the heart of the person who is angry. Anger itself, I think, is a reflection of our being in the image of God, but that being broken, and that anger is our sense of justice. We become angry when we think we had a right to something and we did not get what we wanted, what we think we should have had. And the anger is the sense of, I want to achieve justice. I want something should be done to punish the person who nearly hit me through his reckless driving, person who let me down, the person who cheated me in business. And there's a sense in which, yeah, it was really wrong for the careless driver to nearly kill your family. It was really wrong for the spouse who betrayed you. And so you have this natural reaction of judgment. So it is universal, but people are are blind to it because it's just, it's, you know, it's right. All anger seems righteous to the person who's doing it. And yet the biblical idea of what is really righteous anger, you know, that's something that actually occurs much more rarely. And there are different responses to that anger. I want to get to the biblical qualifications of, of righteous anger, but so sometimes it's because people are self-justified in what they're thinking that it feels right to them. I think sometimes too, people aren't hitting other people or flying off the handle. And so they may not think that they have an anger problem. What are some other anger responses that people should be aware of? Yeah, I really appreciate what you said about people thinking that because they're not actually violent, that they're not sinfully angry. And I actually had a case of a guy who was often yelling at his wife, yelling at his kids, yet he was very proud of the fact he'd never laid a hand on anybody in anger. And often I'll take people in Matthew 5, beginning in verse 21, where Jesus says, if you've been angry, you are guilty of murder. And I think people take words very lightly, but Jesus takes angry, harsh, condemning words and even anger in the heart as a violation of the commandment not to murder and worthy of condemnation. 
and it's not even the angry words. Like in, in my case, when I'm tempted to anger, I'm, I don't yell. I often won't say anything, but my wife can see I'm not making eye contact. I'm sullen, little grumpy, little short, and she can smell the anger. And that's still sinful anger because in my heart, I'm judging her. I'm full of self-righteousness. And in a sense, I'm punishing the people I'm upset with by withholding affection or just, you know, as it's in my heart, it, it comes out. And that's hurting the people around me, that my wife, by my again, lack of eye contact and not very talkative with her, that wounds her like yelling would wound somebody else. It's still sinful anger. And sometimes we can be aware that we're doing these hurtful things. Sometimes in marriages, do you see couples where they're unaware how hurtful what they're doing really is? I think that 1 Peter 3, 7 can speak to that, especially for husbands, where our wives are weaker vessels, meaning they're more delicate, not that they're inferior. She's a fellow heir of the grace of life, but she's more sensitive. And so I think some men who feel like, well, with the other men, I can talk this way and they can handle it. Don't understand that for your wife, she's like a piece of crystal and you you bang on her a little bit and she's going to shatter. And, and your disappointment, you know, this can be true of a child, especially a daughter as well, where just just knowing them knowing that you're not pleased with them and, and knowing that you're not in good relation with them can be devastating. And so I think many need to become more sensitive to the fact that what they've justified, and I've seen men say, well, I was very self-controlled. I didn't even yell, but just walking around with an unhappy demeanor and not being connected and close to his family members just stunk up the whole house with his anger. And was and, and he had to be shown the effect of what he was doing, the ungodliness of what he was doing, and to repent at much a much deeper level. It's, it's like what Jesus says in Matthew 5. The Pharisees thought they were good because they didn't kill anybody. They didn't commit adultery. Jesus says, if you've lusted, you're an adulterer. If you're angry, you're a murderer. And so we have to take them where Jesus took them and to see the depth of their sin. It seems like another component in all this is getting people to admit the word anger. There are a lot of other words that we kind of throw around frustrated. How have you seen people who are actually struggling with anger, but may not realize it because they're calling it other things? Yeah. It's when they describe their words and acts of judgment against people who have wronged them, that is essentially what anger is. And so I think they just have to be gently told that you're trying to justify what Jesus says is, is very serious sin with other names. And yeah, I wasn't angry. I was frustrated. Describe your frustration. Tell me more about it. What did you think? What did you say? And it's the same as the anger. So you can, you can hear words that may, people may be using in, in our minds as synonyms for anger, and then you can kind of draw that out to see if that matches up with what the Bible's saying is biblical anger. Right. Well, even when James talks about we get angry, we verbally or in our hearts murder people because we want something, we don't get it. And so typically these are the reactions people have is I didn't get what I wanted. And then how did you express your frustration? Well, I yelled or I went into the room and wouldn't talk to anybody. It's the same. It quacks, it waddles, it has webbed feet. It is what it is. Another label doesn't change the sinfulness of it mm. and the hurt it's causing to others. Right. So we know that the Bible does say, be angry and do not sin. So there must be this category for 
godly anger, biblical anger, righteous anger. How do we come to understand that? Robert Jones, in his book on anger, did a great job of defining three characteristics of righteous anger. First, a real sin must have taken place. Something that's truly wrong must have happened. Uh, Now, that could be your spouse was unfaithful. That's a real sin. But the second qualification of righteous anger is that your concern should be for God's interests, not merely your own. A righteous anger is is passionate for Christ and his kingdom. So again, like abortion, there can be a, a righteous anger against a government that promotes the killing of unborn children because we're made in God's image and that's dishonoring him. A lot of our anger, we're really much more concerned about our own personal interests, and I didn't get what I wanted, that's why I'm angry. That's not really a righteous anger. That's back to James 4 of, uh, you didn't get what you want, so you're killing other people verbally and mentally. The third characteristic of righteous anger is that the anger is righteously expressed. So I may hate abortion. It's really a sin against God, but that doesn't give me license to murder abortionists, blow up clinics, or scream obscenities at them, that would be an unrighteous expression of anger. I want to say one more thing about the verse from Ephesians 4, when he says, be angry, do not sin. The way I take that verse, I think it probably means is that when people do wrong you and things happen, you're going to have a reaction of the injustice of what's happened. And it's kind of like in the area of lust. If someone sees something tempting, there's going to be, because we're fallen, an initial reaction or an attraction to what's forbidden. And with anger, there's an initial flush. I mean, there's a bodily reaction when people wrong you and things uh, tempt you to sinful anger. But then it's a matter, do you give in to that and express it sinfully? Or do you fight that anger with grace and think about what's happened in a biblical way so you don't react as an angry judge condemning and punishing the other person? And It's the Luther expression, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can prevent them from building a nest in your hair. The birds are going to be flying around all the time. People are going to tempt you to anger. You live in a fallen world. You can't go from here to the store and back without somebody provoking you. You can't live in community without being provoked. You're going to feel the reaction of judgment that's almost inevitable, but then what are you going to do with it? And realizing even if a real wrong has taken place, your concern should be for the kingdom of God and make sure that you respond graciously and appropriately, which could be a a godly correction, but not venting and punishing. Do you have many people push back in the counseling about their anger or try and and justify it and, and say that it's righteous or try and say they don't really have it when they are angry? Yes, there will be. Because all anger is justified in the person who's expressing it, there is usually pushback. And for real believers, I think sometimes they're just blind. Like I I was really thankful recently. There was a case of a guy who, because he never raised his voice and never hit anybody, felt very justified. But as I showed him from the scriptures, and this is where data gathering comes in, and he's describing his thoughts. He's describing his actions. I'm hearing it from the perspective of his wife. And showing him from his words and what the Bible says, his sinfulness in it, and the Lord worked in his heart and gave him repentance. Sometimes when you're counseling, it's a little bit like you're a DA, where you're you're taking evidence, again, not for the purpose of condemn. Maybe I should be an internist instead of a DA, but you're you're gathering data 
for the purpose in this of, of really showing the person where the disease is or where the sin is for the purpose of restoration. And that's where the, the dialogue is helpful. But as they're talking, their very words almost inevitably bring to my mind scripture and application of scripture that's going to show them the reality and the ugliness of their sin. But I do that for the purpose that the scripture brings change and healing and repentance, which is what a real believer is going to want. And so part of that process then is using the scripture and and the law of the scripture to show them how what they're doing is failing to live up to God's standard, to God's law, to bring about repentance and brokenness. There's also a, a grace and gospel component that we go for um, from there as well. And so how does that then come into the picture in dealing with anger? The gospel is the only way anger can be righteously eliminated. Uh, Psychologists will often say that you need to find a way to vent your anger, that you need some way of getting it out that's not going to hurt other people. The gospel doesn't just redirect the flames of anger. The gospel puts out the flames of anger. And there's so many verses that deal with this. You know, the classic passage is the parable Jesus tells of the servant who had been forgiven 10,000 talents, but then wouldn't forgive the other guy the 100 denarii. And if I'm walking closely with Christ and I'm aware of the gospel in my own life and God's grace to me, then when I'm wronged, and sometimes seriously wronged, in the parable, 100 denarii, a denarii is a day's wage. So that was, if you make $60,000 a year, that's $20,000 that the forgiven servant was owed by his fellow servant. But the one who forgave the billions and billions of dollar debt asks us to be gracious to those who may owe us substantially on one level. And so if I'm sinfully angry, I have taken my eyes off of Christ and his grace to me. If my heart is dwelling upon how gracious God has been to me, I cannot remain sinfully angry. We've put together, in your booklet, it mentions five things to tell yourself when you're angry. We have those on a a little card that's available on our website. Um, I guess for the purpose of the audio, what are those five things? And then also what I'm wondering is, which of those five do you find most helpful to you as as you deal with anger in your own heart? Yeah, first I'd like to say kind of how the card and the booklet came about. And really in 20 years or more of counseling, angry people, I found myself continually going to the same things to help them. And and part of it is that when you're angry, even there's a physical reaction, you know, the Bible describes of your innards getting rumbly and getting hot. And if you go on autopilot and you're, that's why the Bible says, be slow to anger, slow to speak, slow to anger you're going to think in wrong ways and you're going to do wrong things. And so in the moments when you're tempted by people wronging you, by things not going your way, there are things you need to remember that don't automatically pop into mind. And I used to even say, well, here's some things I think you need to tell yourself, biblical things you need to tell yourself when you're tempted to be angry. I'd have them write it down on an index card. And finally, one of us figured out, well, we can provide the cards. And this is what developed over many years. Uh, first is I'm angry because I want something too much. James 4 says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It's the desires that wage war in your members and you kill. And, and so when we're angry, it's 
we desire something and we're not getting it. And what's really can be tricky to people is sometimes the thing you desire isn't wrong. You know, a wife desires her husband to remember their anniversary. That's not a wicked desire. But if he forgets and she's tempted to judge him and vent anger on him, that becomes a sinful reaction. You, you People talk about an idol is something you want so badly you're willing to sin if you can't get it. And so we get angry sometimes over legitimate things, legitimate desires, but they can't become controlling desires. So what is it that I wanted that made me angry? Second, I am not God. God has not made me the judge that when you're angry, you're tempted to take vengeance. Romans 12 says, vengeance belongs to God, not to you. In Genesis uh, 50, when Joseph's brothers are bowing before him in fear and they're afraid he's going to make them slaves or throw them into prison, he says, am I in God's place? And the answer is no. But when you're angry and you want to vent on somebody and punish them, even verbally or just by silent treatment, whatever, you're trying to play God and punish them. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God, James says. It's not your place to, to right the balance. The third is the most important of all in answer to your question, and that is that God has been gracious to me. Going back to the parable of the unmerciful servant, going back Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and anger be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other as God in Christ has forgiven you. To remember God's grace to you, remember your own sin, remember God's patience to you. He who forgave you asks you to be gracious. In the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And and so as God has been gracious to me, I'm to reflect that to others. Fourth is God is in control. Uh, Anger is a desire. I want things my way. Things aren't my way. Well, ultimately, God's in charge, and he's allowed this to happen. Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. You know, all the wrong things they did to him. God really is sovereign over all things. He's not going to allow me to be tempted beyond what I'm able when people provoke me, and he's working it for good. And so I I trust that God is in control, and I humbly repent of my desire, excessive desire for control. And then finally is remember who I am in Christ. Sometimes when you're angry, you feel helpless, like I just can't control myself. But Paul tells the Romans, consider yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ in Romans 6. He describes how you used to be slaves to sin, but you've been set free. Because I am in Christ, because I'm a new creation in Christ, I don't have to react like the old man. Yes, there's a battle between the spirit and the flesh, but because the spirit of God dwells in me and because my old self has been crucified with Christ, I've been raised into a new self with Christ, I can be a person of grace instead of a person of judgment. And so you find the the third one of seeing how you've been shown much grace, you find that to be one of the most effective places to go in your own thinking? Absolutely. There's nothing more important than that. If I've only got one point, that's the one, is I need to be continually dwelling upon God's grace to me. And if I'm angry, I've somehow managed to be disconnected from the gospel. My My own reception of God's grace is disconnected from how I'm thinking and how I'm treating others. I would emphasize, though, that I need to talk to myself. I need to tell myself these things. And that's kind of what the card has been for, is when I'm angry, the gospel doesn't necessarily automatically pop into my mind. And one way we try to help counselees is say, okay, now you're tempted. You you feel the temptation of the anger. You feel your body reacting. You feel yourself getting upset. You need to tell yourself these truths from the Word of God. Dwell on these things 
that are life-saving in this situation so that you can battle the anger because to let the sun go down in your anger is to give the devil an opportunity to wreak havoc in your own life and the life of the people you care about. And so instead, you tell yourself these wonderful truths from the Word of God focused on the gospel, which can enable you to emerge from that temptation victorious by God's grace. One other direction I just want to talk with you about while we're speaking about anger is how you handle anger in the counseling office. One of the things that was most surprising to me in counseling was having people get angry right there in front of me, sometimes at each other and sometimes at me. What do you do when anger starts to really manifest itself? In the counseling room, I have responsibility for what goes on there to a large extent, which in the same way that I would not let a man beat up his wife in front of me, I'm not going to let her verbally go on sinning against him. I have to stop it somehow as far as I'm able in terms of interrupting, admonishing. Some of that is going to happen almost inevitably. I'll often interrupt and take them to Matthew 7 and say, okay, well, here's the ground rule now is that for the rest of the session, you only can talk about the logs that are in your eye and not the splinters that are in your brother or sister's eye, because that's how Jesus tells us to deal with that. And you're dealing with this in a fleshly, in a worldly way. So yeah, and you have to be firm in some of these situations. Some people respond very well to that, and some people you have to kind of rise in intensity to match their intensity, not with anger, but with firmness. And if they won't listen, ultimately you may have to end the session or end the counseling if they're not going to cooperate. If it's a couple and they're getting increasingly angry, what options do you have for dealing with that? Right. And one option would be to meet with them individually, to coach them on their own sinful responses to each other. But it's true that sometimes the couple will do much better one by one. They can take the admonishment from you better. If the other one isn't there, they're afraid they're going to get hit over the head when they get home. Look what Jim said about you. So sometimes there's benefit to separating them, coaching them on their own sin and how they should respond together and then bring them back together to put into practice what you've been trying to work with them on individually. As you see people have angry responses in the counseling office, what does that tell you from a data gathering perspective? What is that? How is that shaping your agenda for what you're going to do with them? Yeah, I mean, you see the anger in different ways, too. You talked about, I mean, I've had people yelling at each other so loudly that people in the other rooms could hardly hear each other. Uh, but sometimes it's just body language where someone is turned away, shaking their head, or just visibly upset. Halo data, as Jay Adams would call it. Uh, and you, you have to address those things unless they're extremely subtle. But we're not just trying to change the behavior. The, the issue is what is in your heart? That gets back to why am I angry? What is it that you want so much you're willing to sin because you're not getting it? And then giving those desires to God, repenting of your judgmental reaction, remembering God's grace to you. So you're driving them back, not just to the behavior or the words, but what's in the heart and what's the disconnect between the heart and the gospel that's going to bring reconciliation. What's the angriest you've seen someone become in the counseling room or what's the most disruptive? 
I think it was the case I mentioned earlier where these people were a couple yelling at each other so loudly that we had counseling going on in adjacent offices and they were interrupted because they could not hear each other. I've heard of others who have had a counselee come at them over the desk in anger. Um, I've had times when I'm happy to have observers there in case I need some protection, but so far it hasn't become physical. You've also had people storm out of the office sometimes too, right? Instead of just attacking you, they completely withdraw. Right. I've had people, I've sometimes tried to chase them out to the parking lot to see if I could uh, speak grace to them and help them to bring them back in. Uh, When people come here, especially coming to a counseling center where they didn't even know you before. They're often pretty desperate. Their problems are very serious. And so, yeah, we've had some very strong reactions. Sometimes I will go and try to say, is there something I've said where you think I've sinned against you and I need to seek your forgiveness? I want to understand if from your perspective, I may have stumbled or failed you in some way. Try to show some humility there and some grace, realizing I do make mistakes. I do offend, and sometimes I lack sensitivity. And sometimes people are hardened in their sin. You can't, as a counselor, change every angry person with our anger card and our anger booklet. You present the truth, but the Spirit has to apply that truth in changing hearts. From the human perspective, they have to receive that truth. I want to plead with people to try to help them, but I can't guarantee results in every case. Another question is, how do you keep from becoming angry when a counselee is responding angrily to you or you see the sin in their heart? I know one of the things that comes back in feedback from our observation videos is especially Dan and Debbie. Dan gets pretty intense with you, and people are surprised by how gently you seem to respond to him. What's taught you to do that, and and what do you keep in mind to keep from sinning against them? The Lord has been very kind to me to help me to be patient in those situations. The most important thing I think that's in my mind is back to Galatians 6.1, that if they're caught in a trespass, that their sin is against God and not me. And to look and see what's happening, and even if I'm not perfect as a counselor, there's no excuse for a guy yelling at me and calling me names. I'm here serving him voluntarily instead of watching Monday Night Football or whatever else I could be doing. And so what he's doing is clearly sinful, and my job is to restore him, and it's not about me. He's reacting probably, I hope, if I've been doing my job right, to the Word of God, and if he's angry with what God's Word says and how I'm applying it to him, then he needs restoration, or, and if he refuses to accept that, it's he's answerable to God. So usually it's pretty good. I will admit there are times, just a handful of times I can remember over many, many years where somebody would get under my skin a little bit and I had to really work at it. Usually for me, by God's grace, it it comes pretty naturally, but there have been times when I have to tell myself the very things on that card when someone is really coming after me and saying hurtful things, critical things, and so far, God has given me grace, I think, to weather under that pretty well. It seems like it's something that, that really tests our hearts of, of why we're doing what we're doing. If we're really caring about the other person, we're far less likely to get angry. But if we're doing it to hear our own counsel or to think we're great or all these prideful reasons, then we're all the more tempted to respond in anger. 
I think what you said about pride is important too. There needs to be a humility of saying, I'm not a perfect counselor. It may be that I really did approach this poorly. I really did miss something important. And there has to be humility in your heart to begin with, but then also not coming across as, well, I'm the counselor and I've got it together and you don't. But even as a counselor, I've messed up. I've gone in the wrong direction. I've given advice I wish I could take back. And so I'm open to the possibility that even if their reaction has been a sinful one, that I may have failed them in some way. I may have, I may need to be corrected. And so I think to be humble that we as counselors are simply trying to faithfully present the word of God to people and only the spirit can change them, but we're going to do so imperfectly. We're dependent upon God's grace in ourselves and in them, and we will fall short. And that's why I'm glad ultimately this is up to the Lord and not to us. Thank you so much for joining us today. A list of all the resources that we've mentioned can be found on our website at www.ibcd.org podcast. 